welcome to The Impact Economy, a podcast designed to bridge the gap between sustainability and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Joseph Simpson, and in this series, I'm going to be speaking with some of the world's most influential movers and shakers within the impact ecosystem. Today on the show, we have Alyssa Murphy, the founder and CEO of cleantech communications agency, Lifesize Media. With offices in Berlin and London, Lifesize builds brands, shares stories, and grows businesses for cleantech clients across Europe. As an avid advocate for brand storytelling, especially in the jargon-filled and technical impact industry, Alyssa's approach is a breath of fresh air. So please enjoy today's episode of The Impact Economy and welcome Alyssa Murphy. Hello, Alyssa Murphy. Welcome to The Impact Economy. Thank you very much for being here. Hi, Joe. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Now, before we get into everything, could you give me a little bit of background on yourself and tell me how you got into this industry? So Life Size was founded, or I founded Life Size, out of a desire to help clean tech companies tell great stories. Um, the actual founding story is a lot less linear than that, but that was definitely the kind of the driving force behind why we set up the company. So I actually founded the company with my sister way back in 2010. Uh, she had a science background, I had an arts background, and we kind of came across clean tech quite by accident. We were both um, very passionate about the environment. That was a, kind of a big part of our personal lives, but not of our work lives. And then we met an investor in clean tech companies who kind of introduced us to this sector that we we didn't really sort of know about and I still, I still think there are lots of people who don't know about clean tech as a sector um, and we so we, we were kind of getting to know these early stage companies and these incredible technologies and we were just astonished by the total lack of storytelling we consistently came across these yeah amazing game-changing concepts um, you know this technology that had the potential to tackle the greatest challenges of our time and they just didn't know how to tell stories around it. Um, and I think, you know, and that's where we just, where we saw an opportunity. We thought, you know, clean tech needs storytellers and we we are both storytellers. And, you know, given our different backgrounds, we can, we can kind of combine a creativity and understanding technical complexity. And I think we have a really strong offer here. And... So that's what we've been doing for the last um, 10 years. And things have improved a lot in that time. I think generally in terms of awareness of communications and how important communications is, that's something that I get a lot of satisfaction from, satisfaction from that I think that increasingly the comms experts have a kind of a seat at the table. Um, and it's understood that that has to really be part of um you know it's right up there with developing your your business plan your investor proposition um but there's still a lot of challenges i think particularly in clean tech we've got engineering and science it's it's granular and it's detailed and the focus is very much inward looking it's kind of every all the attention is on this magic box that you're that you're building and it can be really hard to zoom out and see the bigger picture um so that's a big part of what we of what we do is to help people get that um, that sort of aerial view of what they're doing and get that objectivity, step outside and start telling a story that's going to engage their stakeholders and that's going to be really fundamental in the growth and success 
of the company. And so the forms that take, you mentioned PR in the introduction, that is a big part of what we do. Um, but we always start with communication strategy and um, we also do a lot of brand building um, and, and PR and marketing campaigns over the long term. What you've said just resonates with me so much. I've seen so many of these challenges again and again in cleantech companies. And it sounds like you got in so early at the beginnings of the impact economy. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think people were using that term. <laughs> I don't remember anyone using that term back in uh, back in 2010. And people thought we were crazy. I mean, um, because, you know, cleantech had there'd just been a kind of big burst around, like the bubble bursting around solar and a lot of people had got burnt and we didn't know any of that we were you know we were completely naive we were just really excited about these technologies I mean it was really a very pure sense of like we just want to we can see the story it's like so obvious to us but it's not so obvious to the people who are who are uh, developing these technologies um and yeah and you know we were also still coming out of you know the big recession and I think it helped being a bit young and naive and uh, <laughs> yeah, just not really knowing what we were getting into, just diving in and going for it. That's the best way to start any business, right? But you mentioned so. just the, the, the awareness of the importance of communications and especially for teams that are very product led, like a lot of these clean tech firms are with engineering and science being right at the forefront of the business. a business but we work you know we work with a lot of mature stage clean tech companies that's our kind of sweet spot so we're talking about companies that have been around for kind of five ten sometimes even more uh years and a lot of people are coming to us and saying you know we've we've grown we've you know we've got customers we've expanded internationally but we've hit a kind of wall um in our growth and we don't quite understand it but we have a feeling it has to do with not being able to tell our story I think it's it, it's a very typical path um that we see and I think and often you know I think companies also look to 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 the you know the big clean tech success stories where they are doing great um great storytelling and sort of think well why can't you know what what's what are they doing that we're not and often it is storytelling um that is the difference and you know when you get underneath it they're having the same commercial and technical challenges that you are um I think yeah you know for example we you know we worked with a company called Climeworks that many people um have heard of I think they I mean they've had I think more press coverage than any clean tech company that uh that I know that they they're doing large-scale direct air capture of CO2 it's very visionary it's very compelling um you know it makes a great story of sucking CO2 straight out out of the air um you know and they really they've really got storytelling you know they really um prioritize it and it, but it's not as easy for everyone else I think that's another reason I'm hesitant because it's not not everyone is going to have really big compelling global stories but whatever your story is it is absolutely essential to find it your story might be much smaller it might be much more specific it may be a story that you know um is only working for a smaller group of stakeholders, but it's still it's still story. 
um, at heart. And I think if you're in that place where you kind of feel like, you know, we've got a great technology, we've got great investors, or, you know, we've, we've got, you know, we, we've sort of, we're in, we're in motion, you know, this should be going faster. Why, why are we struggling? Why are we not feeling like as our team grows that everyone's on the same page? Why are we not kind of the investors aren't really getting it in the way that we want or customers are taking a long time? You know, often when things start to feel like they're dragging or you're kind of, yeah, that sensation that you're kind of hitting up against some sort of invisible barrier, I would hazard a guess that it may well have to do with not having that communications piece in place. Definitely. And I think you can really see it when you notice people visibly not understanding what you're saying. And this again comes back to that engineering mm. and science and what seems so obvious for people with that kind of academic scientific background may not shine through for people who obviously potential customers, potential investors. If you don't have that same background, when that language is being used, you kind of feel like your back's up against a wall and almost zone out. And it, I think that it's it, it really comes down to as well the way that the story is presented, you know, by using simple forms of narrative, using conflict and, you know, creating character profiles that aren't just based around scientific evidence, but instead a hero image, a villain, like that kind of conflict and creating a resolution to that within your within your startup as well is also a very important thing, which a lot of cleantech founders and cleantech companies don't really think about when they're communicating. Absolutely. And um, yeah, and I, I mean, I love what you just said about like the hero, the hero story and having a villain. I, I absolutely believe all that. I also think that can be, I feel like that's like next level storytelling for a lot of cleantech companies. So, um, you know, just to kind of give maybe like a simple entry point for, for companies that this is something they're struggling with. There's, there's a kind of test that I like to do. I've now branded it this for myself, the one the one minute scan test. I've been doing this like since I, I first discovered clean tech companies and I only realized quite use, recently that it's quite a useful tool. But basically one thing I do is if, I, if someone mentions a company to me, like um, I work with a lot of investors and sometimes I'll say, oh, can you take a look at one of our portfolio companies? I love that point where I know nothing about a company and I go on their website and I give it one minute. And I scan through that website in one minute. And when a brand and a story is good, by the end of that one minute, I will be able to tell you what they do, not in huge detail, but I'll, under I'll have a you know, basic understanding of what they do. I'll be able to tell you something about what they believe, their view of the world, what motivates them. And I'll be able to have a sense of their personality as a company. And I can do all of that in one minute. And that is my kind of really simple test for a brand and a story that is working is that someone can get those three things in one minute. And, you know, if you just want to, if you just want to sort of test if your communications are up to scratch, like just, just get some people who aren't familiar to do that and, and see if they, they can get close to those, those things. And I think that's a great way as well of getting out of, complexity getting out of detail because typically what companies want to do is you know they want to have this like 10 point list of their USPs um, because they've worked really hard to achieve those technical milestones I understand that but the point is nobody cares that you've reached 76% electrical efficiency if they have no idea 
you know, what it is that you're doing in the first place or what the impact might be on, you know, on the wider world. Um, so it's it's all about kind of starting out on that, that start, starting big with the story, starting in kind of human concepts that someone can just connect with and then drawing in their attention and then kind of earning the right to go into that level of detail um, with a company. I actually, I looked at a, a colleague mentioned a company to me yesterday who I have no connection with called Tokamak Energy. Um, so if you if you want to see a company that I think has done this really well, in one minute, I got all three of those things. I got what they do, uh, fusion energy. I got what they believe in, which is abundant, sustainable energy for everybody. And I had a sense of who they are as a company. I had a sense that they're an ambitious, um, warm, kind of authentic company. Um, and all from one minute on the website. It's funny, this experience is so common and it really leads me into my next question regarding how founders can align themselves with truth, how they simplify complexity and how like founders can really project that future-facing perspective whilst being wary of greenwashing. You know, I think that you can see it with so many companies and they resort to taglines and unintelligible jargon on their websites, which don't really say much at all. For example, the phrase to accelerate the transition towards a renewable economy or to accelerate the creation of a circular society, you know, because no one's willing to draw that line in the sand and plant that flag in the future. You have 30 different companies who operated in like myriad of sectors and they just say the same thing. This is a huge problem that I see. And so many companies, they, they just don't dare to take that next step forward. So my next question is about after that one minute test, if something's not up to scratch, how can companies move forward? You know, what are those first steps that you can take and how do you get there? How do you rectify this challenge? Yeah, so I think, I mean, so I'm laughing because you're talking about, you know, my biggest frustration of the last 10 years is <laughs> those meaningless jargon and how, you know, particularly if you go to like a pitching event and you hear 25 variations of the same uh, nonsense, frankly. Um, I think, yeah, so, so, so it's about specificity and, and, it's, not a, and it's, not a, it's not a straightforward process to get there. I mean, I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to make it sort of bite-sized so that, you know, anyone listening can kind of put some of this stuff into action. But, you know, this can be a very complex process, particularly if you've, if you've been around as a company for a long time, because often there's a lot to undo and it can be hard to let go of wait, how you feel comfortable talking about yourself. Um, but I think, so I, I would come at it from two perspectives. I think you have to go back to your personal your your why you have to start you know as Simon Sinek says you have to start with why and I think you have to get as personal and specific about that why as you possibly can um, and I think that that starts with you with you as a founder or a CEO or a, a senior management team um, but it is somewhere where you have to I think really do some soul searching and really put in the work because often you know when we start this process with people we'll get them to go, oh yeah, we kind of believe in like a better future for future generations. Or it's like, that, that's great, but let's get really specific about you. Like what gets you up in the morning? You know, what has made you decide to commit your career to a high risk startup rather than, you know, the myriad kind of well-paid corporate jobs that you clearly could be doing 
um, as an alternative? Like what keeps you going when things are really tough, which they will be at some point on the startup journey? Those are the kind of questions to ask to really get to your personal why. And don't worry about communications at this point. You may never articulate that personal why, um, you know, beyond your company. But it's I think it's about really knowing that and having a very strong sense of it. It will start to shape that, as you describe, kind of jargon to something more meaningful and more personal. And then the opposite direction to come at it is understanding your customers' why, which is, this is basically about value proposition, but I just think it's it's more powerful to talk about it as your customer's why. Like, what what is it that keeps your customer up at night? What is it that is really worrying them? That what are the, What are the challenges that they see coming? What are they really struggling with? And how do you have an answer to that? Because I think when you can bring those two things together, essentially... Um, how I like to think of it is combining what keeps your customer up at night and what gets you up every morning. When you bring those two things together, that's when you get to a really kind of electric, specific story um, and, you know, that, that really kind of fizzes and that really works. And, you know, and then then you can get into the process of exactly how you articulate that and what words you use. I would not I would not get into language in the early stages. It's about understanding those two concepts on a really kind of human level. Um, and yeah, and then you can start kind of playing with how you tell that story. And that will help you get to that, you know, that magic one line that everyone is looking for, but in a way that is specific. And part of that is being willing to let things go. I think that's actually the number one um, problem that we see when we do this kind of messaging work with companies is it's really hard to let things go. And um, it's it's and it's really hard to get short and succinct because you just want to say everything, and and you just can't. You you've got to make some really tough decisions and 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 kind of be really brave about you know this is our little corner of the world that we're changing. This is our unique viewpoint that no other company will have. That's what you know. That's ultimately what you're looking for. What is your view of the world? What is your contribution that no one else can make, no other company can make because it's not made up of the same people, even if they're doing, you know, a similar technology, they don't have the same journey, they don't have the same people. Um, when you can get to that, that's when the magic happens. I totally agree. And it's this concept which I've which I've kind of been thinking about a lot and whenever I work with with clients on this as well, I always use the term polarization because that's the one way, the one word which we're kind of, you know, especially seeing as clean tech is usually, you know, you're a little bit left of center or you're, you, you know, you're, you're, you have a social background. And the, the idea of polarization is for a lot of people in the clean tech industry, something that they want to stay away from. So I really use it as a, a, a kind of shock instinct when you say, create your, your your target audience and then polarize it into people that you do want to help and people that you don't want to help. So I want to work with, for instance, this is mine. I want to work with impact entrepreneurs who are busy creating um, technology, which is going to create positive impact rather than mitigate negative impact. So, and by drawing that line in the sand, you really attract those who are there and, and, fit that mold but you also push people away and i think that's a real 
tough thing for a lot of people with a social background to do is to push people away and say, no, I don't want to help you because we want to try and help everyone. <laughs> but in, in reality, that's not how it works. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's also to do with, I think it's also to do with the nature of the startup journey, which is, you know, you start out with nothing except an idea or a concept and you slowly, slowly, piece by piece, turn that into reality. And you have to do that by reaching out to a lot of people and getting a lot of people on board. And you need a lot of, you know, goodwill at the beginning. You need a lot of help. And I think it's hard to then make the shift to a certain point of going, like actually like you know I, like I think at the beginning you sort of just want to say yes to everything and and that's how you kind of get something up and running and then there is a certain switch where you kind of go right we've got the, we've got the concept now we know like we know what we're doing we know who we're doing this for and and I think you're absolutely right the big part of that is also understanding who you're not you know who you're not selling to um you know another example is like with investors and you know the most effective fundraising that we've seen comes when people have a really strong sense of who they want as an investor. And it's not just about the money. It's what, it's what else that investor is bringing to the table. But a big part of that is you've got to, you know, be willing to say, right, these, these people are not for us. Um, and it's, and it's hard. And I guess it feels, it feels negative, but it's, it's not, it's just about getting focused and about getting clear. Um, and I, I think you put it beautifully, you know, when you, when you really know who you are, which is essentially what we're talking about here, like then you're, you know, then, then the right people come, the right opportunities come. I think we're very much on the same page, uh, which is obvious because we both have communications backgrounds. But when you look at the, the mo majority of this industry, we are the, still the anomaly. So I, I'm really happy to, to get your, your thoughts on this because it, you're right. Like when, once you've defined your story, you really mitigate the risks of people not understanding what you do. You mitigate the risks of people not joining your journey. And it's such an integral factor in bringing your story to the world that it, you, it's something you have to get right from the very beginning. Or else it's just a technology which, which can sit there, which can be as sustainable or as innovative as it wants. But if you don't have the the right words, the right connection to the to investors, potential clients, to potential super fans, to get them on board your journey, you're not going to be able to take that next step and turn whatever it is you're building into a reality and realize its full impact potential. Right. And I just want to say one more thing about this, which is if you if you're if you're listening to this and you're struggling with this, I promise you the only person who wants you to be everything to everyone is you. Your investors don't want it. Your customers don't want it. Like they, you know, I, I so often we are kind of essentially called in by investors are going, please help these companies to get specific, you know, to get focused, to get targeted. Like, and the customers are the same. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to have their time wasted if it's not the right solution for them, if it's not optimized for whatever their requirements are. You know, I think we really have to, we really have to sort of be brave and acknowledge that that, that desire to please everyone and to keep the net as wide as possible is only coming from us as founders. Exactly. And at a certain point, you can grow into the next phase. You know, once you've successfully serviced one specific market, you can use that to 
um, to leapfrog over to another market that you know that you can then focus on build a specific solution and scale from there. But just jumping in and saying, you know, where I used to work with this company, right? And that you know they were fantastic, very innovative, like highly driven by systemic sustainability. But we were a small team and we worked on 10 different industries at once. You know, we worked in agriculture, we worked in smart cities, we worked in um, circular economy, we worked in organizations. And you could tell that because we weren't focused on one or another, we just didn't have the opportunity to, to really become those experts and deliver everything that we could in one certain industry. And at the end of the day, of course, it doesn't work when you're when you're struggling to to pinpoint exactly who your customer is. They also don't see you as the potential solution. No, I was just going to add to that point that I think to bring it back to communications, it, this is such a sort of a foundational um, aspect, but it's so important is that consistency is such an important factor in successful communications. What is extremely confusing and ineffective is if you're adapting your story all the time, which is what I very often see with early stage startups. I mean, it's, you know, it's almost unrecognizable from from one month to the other. But even later stage companies, they may have one story on their website, but you meet different people within the company. They're all giving you a different version of it. People can't, you know, our brains just cannot process like that. We need to hear the same consistent key messages. We need to see have the same hooks we need to hear the story several times before we really um digest it and and live it so you're really undermining yourself if you're if you're doing that with your you know as you said like you know if you're trying to serve these different markets but also if you're if you're changing your story in that way or keeping your story broad or adapting it every time you have a different audience you cannot build consistency like that and people can't build recognition um so that's a really you know uh, important point from a communications perspective as well so, hey, on a very practical note, in how do you take this story and integrate it into a, a brand's DNA? And then how do you get that out into the world as well? Once you've really knuckled down on it, what are some of the, the mediums or different, um, different ways that startups and entrepreneurs can really tell these stories without, you know, say, the budget of, of a much bigger company? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think the first thing is um, you have to have this you have to have this stuff written down somewhere. I would say the three okay, maybe four <laughs> no, the three components that you you have to you really have to know are your vision, your why, your motivation, your customer's why, as I said, so that your value proposition or your USP, however you like to think of it, and your brand personality, which is not something we've we've talked about a lot yet, but I it's essentially understanding like if you think of your your company as as a person um or as a friend it's it's how you would describe their personality and that's those are really important things to understand and to get to get focused on so those things need to be written down somewhere so that everyone within your company understands them and the best way to sort of to do that in practical terms is through key messaging. So having somewhere your one line, your top messages that you want to get across, your your paragraph, um, you know, somewhere your vision encapsulated in a few sentences. And that's really, you know, that's really hard to do. But don't kid yourself that you've done it. 
unless it's written down somewhere. That is the test when it's, you know, when it's in a document somewhere that everybody can refer to, you know, that's that's the first step. Um, and then I love what you said about integrating this in your DNA, because I think this is the step that so many people miss. Brand and culture go hand in hand. They cannot be distinct from one another. So first of all, as we've already talked about, your story has to grow out of your your company's DNA and you personally as a founder, it has to start from that personal perspective. It's not something you can get off the shelf that you can copy what someone else has done or you know buy it in because it looks pretty and you like the way it sounds. It's got to be authentic. If the brand's not authentic, forget about it. People will see straight through it. But equally, you have to continue to live your brand. So when you've made those decisions about your view of the world, about who you are as a company, about what you believe, you've then got to live that um you know and that can mean all kinds of things for different companies but just to give you know one example that i see a lot is um i can't tell you the amount of times that i've worked with a company that said oh we have a really diverse team and i'm sat in a meeting room with 10 white men looking at me in all seriousness telling me that they have a really diverse team um just you know just one example of like you really have to keep asking the question of are we living the story that we're telling you know, another example is innovation. People talk a lot about, you know, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about the word innovation, but, you know, people say we're a really innovative company. But then what you see a lot of the time is startups borrowing a lot of culture from, from corporate world and just sort of inheriting corporate work patterns and corporate work structures. So whether that's maybe, I don't know, um, you know, a culture of working really long, intense hours that keeps uh, maybe like parents or people with other commitments out of the workforce you know there are lots of examples here where you know you've really got to follow through and make sure your culture is living your story um and then you asked about kind of how you actually start going about like going about okay right we've got we've got our story we understand our brand we're living our brand what do we do next and typically as you say there isn't a huge amount of budget to just kind of you know go here agency take a lot of money and go and do this for us so I think it's about where you start. And when you start with communications has to be your commercial goals. So everything has to stem from understanding your commercial goals and nothing that you do in communication. You shouldn't do anything in communications unless it's directly serving those goals. So my first point is always to ask why you're doing something. So whatever it is you think you need to do, we need to do a brand refresh. We need a new website. We need to start putting out press releases. We need to be on Twitter stop and ask yourself wh which of our commercial goals is that serving i mean twitter is probably my favorite example in here because rarely is twitter serving your commercial goals but people feel like they have to be on twitter and will invest a lot of time in doing that but it it may not be something that is actually serving your goals in fact i would say very often it may not be um so really start with that that process of you know essentially this is this is how you do communications strategy and communication strategy can be a very big piece of work. We do kind of three month um, programs for companies on this. But if you're not there yet, just just write down your top three commercial goals for the next year and check anything that you're doing in communications against those goals. And you will save yourself a lot of time and money and wasted effort. And then exactly how you go about taking this into the world really does. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to be vague, but it really does depend on you as a company and what you're trying to achieve. So I think I would just say, don't kind of get caught up in feeling that you have to do things because that's what companies do 
at a certain stage. For example, if you look at a media campaign, you know, everybody wants press coverage. Everyone wants to be in headlines. It makes everybody feel great. Um, investors love it. I get that. And we, you know, we do that for most companies. But I would start by really questioning if you are ready for that, if you have enough news flow, for example, like, do, you know, can you look at the next six months and think, yeah, we've got a good three or four stories coming up that are newsworthy, that are objectively going to be interesting to journalists. But if you look at the next year and think, well, you know, a lot of this we're doing development work, we're doing fundraising behind the scenes, it may just be that you're not quite there yet. And that's not where you need to focus. But it may be if you're fundraising that you really need to invest that time in your investor materials, for example. So work backwards, you know, we're, we're about to do our Series A funding. Maybe you need to be investing most of your communication efforts in materials that work for investors. If you're if you're at the point of reaching out to customers, of course, press work can be very useful there. But if that's not the right option for you, think about the materials that you're using to engage with customers. Um, and, and I think also, yeah, web, website, I would say, is a big one, but not from the perspective of, you know, big, shiny, flashy, um, all-encompassing websites. It's about getting the story onto your website because the website often really acts as the home of your story. And it's what everyone will kind of use as a reference point for your story, both within the company and across your stakeholders. The chances are that everyone is referring to your website at some point. So, you know, that would be a really great starting point is just making sure that that story that you've got in a Word doc somewhere is presented clearly on your website, that you've got, you know, information for the various audiences there on your website. And that's, that's a really good starting point and then just getting just getting really specific particularly with social media like don't don't try to be on every channel just putting out content for the sake of it I mean for example at life size you know we did a we we invest quite a lot in our in our own marketing efforts and um a few years ago we kind of did that process of sitting down and thinking where do we really need to focus and for us you know we're we're b2b we we know a lot of our potential customers already they're already within our network for us linkedin is the obvious priority and we really double down on putting our effort into linkedin we still do a bit of twitter we still do a bit of instagram but it's it's very kind of light and we know what we're doing there for example instagram for us is much more about um showing the, the kind of culture of our company and for potential new hires and that kind of thing so yeah it, it's just get specific go back to your commercial goals and always start with the question why because people are gonna people like me are gonna tell you you need to spend a lot of money on communications or you need to spend a lot of time on communications and just be really sure you know that that effort or that resource that you're putting in is directly serving the commercial goals and then that's how you accelerate forward that's such a good piece of advice and i've seen it so many times as well where the uh, communications activities don't really live up to the commercial goals or don't have anything to do with them just because a lot of people think they have to have the, you know, the latest social media platform. Are we on TikTok? Are we, you know, getting as many eyeballs as possible? And then they start thinking about it. Well, is it, it, what's it really doing? Why are we investing in it? And it can also put a lot of companies off. Oh, we tried that. It doesn't work. And it's like, yeah, okay. It's what it definitely doesn't work for your, you know, um, 10 to 15 full-time staff uh clean tech firm which which has 100 followers like of course no one you know so, so it really is so simple if something isn't directly impacting the bottom line 
And if there's no like correlation between communications and sales in that strategy, it, it, it seems so bizarre. But people just get started and then it's very difficult to stop once you've started something because as well, you don't want to half-ass it. The other thing I've seen is that people get quite um, almost addicted to um, the metrics of communication. I mean, I don't want to go down, that's a massive uh, rabbit hole. But what I would say is, you know, if you're a company that's very KPI focused, fantastic. Make those KPIs about your communications, how, how the communications effort moved you closer to those goals. Don't get distracted by, uh, you know, website views or impressions, because who even knows how those are calculated? You know, all of those kind of things, like they can be useful kind of indicators that you're heading in the right direction, but they are not, they are not an end goal in themselves. And I think that's something that I've seen a lot, particularly with bigger companies who then have some budget to spend you know that they might be spending a lot of money on like social media advertising and they'll say but look the metrics are great look at all these impressions we're getting i go great how many sales came through that and they're like well we have no idea how would we know that like so you're so you're spending money to get impressions is that is that the goal um you know so i think it's yeah always go back to those commercial goals I think that's a really nice, nice way to put it. And I think that we are almost out of time, Alyssa. I'm kind of sad because I'm enjoying this chat so much. But I feel like we could probably talk about this for days. So it's, it's probably best that we draw things to a close. <laughs> well, maybe we can talk about it for days in the, in the next edition. And I'm sure there will be a next edition. But for now, Alyssa Murphy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I've really appreciated it. And, um, and good luck with life size and I'm sure you don't need it. It doesn't sound like it anyway. Thank you. It's been my pleasure talking to you. Perfect. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks very much for listening to the show today on the Impact Economy. I've had a great conversation with Alyssa Murphy from Life Size and I would urge you, if you've enjoyed this too, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. Thanks very much and I'll see you next time.